The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 24, Psychological Evaluation 101. We have a guest with us for this episode. Oh, good. Welcome, Dr. Jessica Snowden Patel, uh, a child psychologist. Is that correct? Yes, child clinical psychologist. Okay, great. So my first question is going to be here as the non-mental health professional. What is a psychologist? Psychologists take on a lot of different roles. So I can talk specifically about what my role is, Mm -hmm. but there are so many different things that psychologists can do. So my role is that I do psychological evaluations with kids. And so my goal is to really figure out how their brain works, how they learn, how they process information, if they have kind of what their areas of strengths are, what their areas of difference are, any sort of diagnoses, and then really help to figure out a treatment plan for that family to get them on the right path forward. But psychologists do a lot of other things. Some psychologists just provide counseling or therapy services, but psychologists might just teach. So just because you're labeled a psychologist doesn't mean that you provide the evaluations. Um, Like I provide, plus they can work with any age range. So I work mainly with children, but then you'll have geriatric psychologists or psychologists who only work with adults and don't work with kids. So there's a lot of different specialties, which can also be very confusing when you're looking for a psychologist as well. Well, and I was thinking the difference between like a a mental health counselor or therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, all of them play a very important role in the, in this road down mental health, but how do you know what your child needs or is going to be best for them? That's a great question. So the simple way to think of it is most psychiatrists prescribe medication and that is their main focus. There are some psychiatrists who are trained in therapy and might provide therapy services. That is not the norm. Typically, it's you're seeking out medication and it's for medication management. Psychologists don't prescribe medication. When you use the word psychologist in most states, although it differs per state, usually referring to someone with a doctorate degree in psychology. There are some states, though, where master's level people can use that word, too. So it does get complicated depending on where you live. But then in general, psychologists will provide a variety of services. So not medication, but it could be an evaluation, a diagnostic evaluation. It could be therapy services, group counseling. Um, They also do program development intervention. There's also kind of, again, depending on what state you're in, everything is called they're labeled something different, but master's level therapists or counselors typically don't provide psychological evaluations. Although again, in some states they can, that's not in all states and they generally provide more therapeutic services. So it does get pretty complicated, but the basic way to think about it is psychiatrists prescribe medication, psychologists don't prescribe medication in general. And then there's the master's level therapist who will provide counseling services. Although of course there's other roles that they can have as well. Thank you for clarifying that. That was a great breakdown. And I love what you said about you know, some master's level um, counselors have had that training. Like my master's program did include training in psychological evaluation, but there was always this sort of you know guideline of depending where you practice, you may not actually be able to do this independently, but you'll have the knowledge, you'll be able to read evaluations and report 
reports and and kind of know more you know where to send patients and how to how to work with your clients and that kind of thing so um that's i love that you brought that up because that's that's not something we talk a lot about absolutely well and i think also too not every person and we'll probably talk about this but not everyone needs to go to a psychologist for a diagnostic evaluation there's a lot of times they can go into a mental health counselor and they can get a proper diagnosis and a proper treatment plan put together without taking that extra step too let's talk about evaluations and talk to the to the parents for this one and then we'll talk to the kids so to speak what should a parent expect when their child goes for a psychological evaluation so all about the general process for psychological evaluation of course there's a lot of there's a lot of standardized pieces and there's a lot of variability in between providers so if you are seeking out a psychological evaluation for your child it's always about the goodness of fit so what are you looking for what will that person provide and it's okay to ask some questions to make sure you're really they're going to be able to answer the questions that you want answered and i also think a critical point of that is is some people who do psychological evaluations don't provide any ongoing treatment. I don't provide any ongoing treatment. So I will answer questions about your evaluation. Of course, I'll have follow-up. Parents will follow up with me later with different things that come up because kids are tricky even after the evaluation and I serve as that source, but I don't provide like weekly ongoing counseling. And so I wanna make sure that if people, but some psychologists do. So I wanna make sure that they know exactly what they're choosing. But if they are looking for a psychological evaluation, kind of the general processes is that, you know, generally you talk to, whether it's an intake person or the, uh, the psychologist, to get an idea about exactly what the services are that they provide. So some places rely more on a medical model. So it's kind of a brief diagnostic evaluation that can happen in a few hours. Sometimes it's over a period of several days where this evaluation takes place. And neither one of those is right or wrong necessarily. It just really depends on what questions you need answered and what they're able to do kind of given those different situations. In general, you will have, once you contact the individual or if it's a hospital setting, most places have you fill out paperwork and not just the general clinic paperwork, (laughs) but there's usually a lot of paperwork. And I think that can be very overwhelming to parents, but you know your kid the best. So it's just so critical to get in and really dive deep into their developmental history, different things you may or may not be seeing with them at home, just to get a really clear picture. There's also generally um, some rating skills that we'll have parents fill out. And those are things that are kind of like, you know, a one to four skill about things that you do or don't see with your kids at home. Because again, when we're doing the evaluation, we only see them for a snippet of time. So if you are seeing these struggles at home, we might not see them in our office, but that doesn't mean we don't believe that they're happening. We are just a really, we're a new person, which we all know is totally different in how your kid may act. But then also it's just a snippet of time. So we wanna get that information. If the parents give us permission, we will collect information from teachers. School can give a really Mm -hmm. critical look into the child as well. And they can fill out, if they're willing to, to fill out some information on the child too. And that can be really helpful. Then typically there's an intake where you will meet with a psychologist and they just ask you a lot of questions about the child and to really get to know you and your family as well as part of the process. From there, we do testing. And so when I say testing, no one ever knows what to expect. And I think it's more anxiety provoking for the parent than it is the kids. You know, I'm working with someone recently and they said, this is the most fun doctor's appointment I've been to. And I think that might oversell it, but they're all like really interactive activities. So kids can earn prizes. They get fun breaks. There's rarely, even with older kids, a time when they're just doing something on their own that they have to fill out. Like I think we're picturing like mini SAT or ACT versions Mm -hmm. of things. Like that's not what's going on. They're really interactive tasks. And most kids actually like them. 
Um, and we do testing. And again, depending on the question, who you see, that can be varying length. After that, you get results. And so you will talk with the psychologist, you'll go over all of the results of the evaluation, you'll have a chance to answer, get all of your questions answered. And then um, you get a comprehensive report. And so it will outline more than you would ever want to know about your child in every area that they looked at, there'll be a lot of data included. Um, and then it'll go over any diagnoses. And there's not always diagnoses, but if there is a diagnosis, it would be in there. Um, and then the most important part is kind of a description of what's going on and what to do at this point in time, because that's why parents are seeking this information out. One quick follow up question. Is this the same thing as a global assessment? Or is that something different? So that is a really good, that's a really interesting thing. You know, at the former clinic that I worked at, we actually coined the term global assessment. So we oh. named that. No one else calls it that. Oh, really? And so it was something that our team called it. And then in our area, that is what it's known as. It's a global assessment where you have occupational therapy, potentially, and speech therapy, and a psychologist doing these evaluations. That whole team approach, where it includes OT and speech or other kind of a transdisciplinary approach is really rare. There's only about 20 some centers in the entire country that do it that way. But still, even if you're seeing someone individually, you can kind of think of that comprehensive approach where when we called it a global, it was because we're looking at every area of the child's function. We want to look at them really globally. We're not just looking at one piece because you can miss so much of the functioning. Um, but I do think, yes, most places will provide a very comprehensive evaluation. That being said, some will provide a very focused evaluation. And so it's kind of like if you say, you know, I just want to know if my child has ADHD, yes or no, some places will just look and answer that question. I don't because I feel like a comprehensive evaluation can, if you don't do that, you can miss a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but there can be times when that is appropriate, especially if there's historical diagnoses or other information too. But that's also a question you want to know if you're seeking out an evaluation, like what are you going to be covering with my child? What are the areas you're going to look at? So that way you know exactly what you're getting out of it too when you're putting in that time because it is it is a time commitment on the part of the child and the part of the family. I, I think the biggest question that that I've got for you tonight is really helping parents to make that decision of when do you take that step? So you gave yeah. a really thorough review of, of what it could look like and all the pieces that might be involved in it. But how do you know if that's what you need versus going to see you know a counselor like myself or, or someone else? I think that's a really good question. And it could actually be hard for parents to know when to seek out an evaluation. It's even hard for professionals to know sometimes if they should be referring this child or not for an evaluation too. Every human would benefit from an evaluation to some extent. So you find out your areas of strength, you find out, you know, areas maybe you need to work on. And even if it's not diagnostic, you actually find out really cool information about how your brain works, whether you're a child or an adult. Now, it's not realistic for everyone. To, I would love it if we didn't just go out and have these really comprehensive evaluations done. So the rest of this episode is going to be you guys giving me an assessment. <laughs> I know. Well, that's Let's what, learn about I, Chad. Totally. Yeah, I get new. I I get new. If I get new tests, and you know, I always have friends or other people like, can you try those out on me? Or you know, if you ever need a kid to try, let's see. And you know, and sometimes we have to to like train ourselves on sure, new tests or do sense. those kind of do those kind of things too. But I think too, in general, if, if your one thing is, if your child is already in treatment of some sort, so that could be occupational therapy, speech therapy, counseling, maybe they're taking medication, whatever it is, and it is not going anywhere. So you're not making the progress that you would expect. Now, I always say have that conversation with your therapist because sometimes your child really is making progress, but progress can be slow. And maybe they have a really good grasp of what's going on and you should always advocate 
for knowing exactly what those steps are. So maybe the goal is, you know, step 55 and you're on step two. So you can't really see the whole process. But once you talk to your counselor or your other therapist, you really understand that process. But if they're not making progress, or especially if your service provider, if they're already in service, is saying, you know what, I feel like we're missing something here. I don't feel like we really have a good handle about what's going on. That is, I think, a really critical time to seek out evaluation because you also don't want to spend a lot of time honing in on very specific treatment focuses, but maybe there's something else going on. So maybe there's something, a diagnosis we're completely missing. Maybe there's a treatment we're completely missing. Maybe there's someone else who needs to also step in to provide support that would be really helpful. Maybe that therapist is like, okay, if we have this information, I can actually change my trajectory and what strategies I'm using. Because when we talk about diagnoses, which can come out of evaluations and oftentimes do, that can also be very scary to parents because it's a label, but the label is also powerful because it tells us what we need to do then with that child. We know based on research, when we get certain profiles, there are certain things we wanna start with that may be more effective. So I think that's one time. Also, I think, you know, as parents, we are really good at knowing there's something going on with our child, but it's really hard. Oftentimes we're wrong about what is going, what the cause is. So for example, I have a lot of people come in. I think inattention is one of the main concerns where people come in, but one of the, and people oftentimes jump to kind of thinking about ADHD, which makes perfect sense. Like you're not, it just makes sense when you kind of think in that way. But when you look at something like a symptom and you're really good at identifying the symptom, like my child is having trouble paying attention, but what is that cause? And so for example, they can be very anxious. And one of the core diagnostic criteria for anxiety is difficulty concentrating. Mm -hmm. You know, also there's a lot of other pieces we can go into too. But if, for example, if you're struggling with learning, guess what? You're not going to be paying attention because things don't make sense to you. Or if you're really overwhelmed at home, you're going to struggle with concentration. And so you are really good at identifying, you know, what is going on in the symptoms, but really kind of sometimes need someone else to dive into the causes to make sure you're on the right trajectory too. I like the way you call them symptoms. Um, and when you look at something like that, if, if uh, you're not paying attention or you're dozing off, it might be misconstrued as like a bad behavior or inattention, but it's actually a symptom of an illness, just as if a sneeze is a symptom of allergies. Yes. Interesting. And I like your example of dozing off. And I've had times where kids are not paying attention because they have sleep apnea or they have an underlying oh. medical condition and all the, it can get really complicated. And of course, you know, the teacher sees them in class and it's like, they aren't paying attention and at home. You know, think about as an adult, if you're tired, what happens? You don't pay as much attention, even as an adult. You can also be crankier, even as an adult. And so these are just little humans. And sometimes you'll see a lot of like bouncing around and behavior and other things. And it could be, there could be a core medical issue. So really investigating hmm. to figure out what's going on. And that's kind of the way I think about evaluations. Is it, is it an, an investigative journey with the parents? So we've identified these different things that we want to learn more about, but we want to figure out what is causing this. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it is unclear, but at least we have data and sometimes we can rule out exactly what we know is not going on and that can still be really powerful. And also even for the child, someone learning about how their brain works and what is or is not going on can be so empowering and it can actually reduce a lot of anxiety or other symptoms because when we know like, I mean, as humans, we're just really good at knowing that something isn't working. So if that means like, you know, I'm really trying hard at school and people are saying I'm not paying attention, what happens? Like that'll make, that can make you anxious or it can make you feel bad about yourself. 
So if they understand, no, it's caused by X, Y, or Z, and we're going to work on that in these ways with your therapist, or we're going to, you know, maybe you're seeking medication or as a family, here's what we're going to do. Here's what your school is going to do. It's a role for everyone that can be really, really empowering for the child as well. So to kind of sum up what you've just said, reasons why someone might seek a psychological evaluation of their child. One would be if, it, if you're not making progress with your therapist or counselor, if you, you know, if the therapist agrees to like, we're not really getting where we want to go, or we feel like there's a missing piece, that would be a good time. Two, if you're really looking at what is the underlying cause and you really want to break down, you know, is this medical, is this psychological, emotional, behavioral, what's going on here? An evaluation is a good way to do that. Um, and then I feel like you had kind of a third point too, and now I've lost that. Because she wasn't paying attention. That's what it is. It's a zoning, <laughs> zoning out. It's a symptom, and I should probably investigate it. Well, thank you for doing that right on this episode, Nikki, just to kind of prove a point. Well done. <laughs> well, and I also think, too, you know, if you're thinking about starting a young child on medication, which oftentimes can be life-changing for kids. It can be like you're flipping on a light switch. But sometimes we're not exactly sure what's going on. And sometimes even the psychiatrists who are saying, you know what, this isn't a clear cut case. So before we start something, I want to make sure, you know, are we dealing with anxiety or ADHD or depression or a combination? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's more than one thing that we're looking at or they want to make sure, okay, we know what therapy is going to be effective or maybe there's a learning difficulty and they want to make sure that school's doing their part too and has identified that mm -hmm. um, as well. I think one of the other things to think about just from someone who works on the parent with the parents a lot is getting an evaluation as much more anxiety provoking to the parent than it is for the child. And so I know parents always ask, what should I tell my child? And I give them the same script that I'm going to tell them about. You're going to see someone and they're going to just do activities with you. I don't think games because I think games oversells it. And they, they expect <laughs> like maybe a little bit more fun than what they're having. And you emphasize that their only job is to try their best. They're going to be asked to do some things that they've never done before. Some will be super easy. Some will be hard. And they're going to meet someone. They're going to try their best. And afterwards, you know what? We're going to go get ice cream. Like, there's nothing wrong with the reward. Kids are used to adults asking them to do strange things all of the time. So most of the time, like, once kids get in, they see what's going on. They see there are some toys. They see there's like blocks we're going to play with. They see some patterns or some other things. They see they can earn stickers or they can earn a prize and they get a lot of positive reinforcement. Most kids, once they see that, they're totally fine with the process and it is very interactive. So it's not, you know, especially again, if you have a chance, you don't always like especially major centers, but you, you know, you ask for recommendations or if you talk to, if you can't talk to the psychologist, do that, but just kind of, if you have a choice, you just basically, you make sure that that person's a good fit for your child. And most people who are doing the evaluation really do know how to work with kids and they know, and we put in strategies to make it fun because I want them, you know, to have fun. Now, if they're struggling in math and I am going to ask them to do math, like that part might not be fun. And that's okay. Like I have kids say, this part is so boring. And that my response is, it's okay to be bored. We're going to finish this and it's going to take like 10 minutes or so. And then we'll take a break and you can pick the activity and we'll have a few choices. And usually that's enough for kids to keep going. So parents don't need to get all worked up that their kids are going to have a hard time with it. There's no no reason to, to put them through a whole you know tutorial on what to expect. And and I, I talk about parent. I talk about that with parents as well, is that we attach all the meaning to it. It's important to us. We think it's a big deal. So we get anxious about it because, of course, we want to know what's going to happen. But kids just 
just go in and have fun with someone who's really kind and caring and knows how to talk with them. And so um, that's such a really, really good point. How often is there, I'll call it a misdiagnosis of something, if you're diagnosed with ADHD and then eventually it comes out that no, maybe it was generalized anxiety disorder or, or a little bit of depression, OCD, does does that happen very often or, or a, a big global assessment kind of thing catch that? And can you have multiple diagnoses? Yeah, great questions. You can have multiple diagnoses, definitely. And so I also think just kind of setting the stage of when you're seeking out evaluation, sometimes there aren't specific diagnoses. But again, then we still learn about patterns of strengths or differences and things will be helpful. So it's never not useful, but sometimes it's not diagnostic. You know, sometimes these symptoms just fit in these nice little boxes that were created and that we have to use in terms of labels. Most often, there is a diagnosis. And sometimes there are more harder, harder hitting diagnoses than others in terms of the level of severity. I would say that more often than not, you will find out that there is something else going on than what you expected. So sometimes it's really clear. But I also think in those cases, oftentimes, it's so clear cut to everyone. And they're just kind of going straight to psychiatry or to counseling. It's working really well. They're showing improvement. But a lot of times, it is, I would also say not even just misdiagnoses, but it's not what you thought. So it's kind of like, I'm seeking out this evaluation because I'm pretty sure my child has ADHD. Mm -hmm. And then we come back and say, no, it's significant anxiety. Mm -hmm. I also, there's been a lot of research done on trauma and the impact of trauma on symptoms of attention and big research studies looking at kids, for example, who are in foster care, getting diagnoses of ADHD that were completely incorrect and more often than not were misdiagnosed which makes sense if you're not looking at the whole picture, because of course, if you are just removed from your family or have these major stressors, how would you pay attention? I wouldn't pay attention as an adult and I have control over my situation. Yeah. And so there can be when we're not looking at the whole picture, you know, and within, even when we're doing the evaluations, we really are looking at a snapshot in time. And, you know, we try to do the best we can in terms of the evaluations and collecting information, but things can also evolve. For example, if we're seeing someone, they're much younger as they get older, but and sometimes, you know, people kind of rally against, especially teenagers, I see this a lot, rally against the diagnosis. You know, they came in thinking often, and I'm using ADHD again, because that's the most often what they think. And it's not, and it's anxiety, and that can be really confusing. But I've also seen a lot of kids that were, again, it's very empowering. They're like, wow, this makes more sense. Now that you explain it, and we have this hard data, okay. And you treat those two things very, very different. You can also, like you said, have comorbidities. So you can have anxiety and ADHD and depression or autism or learning difficulties, um, you know, or language difficulties. There can just be so many things that interrelate. So it can be more complicated. But that's also when having the evaluation can just be such a turning point for the child and the family because then it's kind of like we've identified all of these areas that we need to work on so the team can come together to best support my child. Fascinating stuff. So if you have a, an, an assessment, a psychological evaluation, and you're treated with X, whether that's ADHD or anxiety or whatever, and then a few years go by and maybe the kid develops something else, do you need a subsequent evaluation or can you just kind of go back and go, okay, we, we saw levels of, of this creeping up. Now brain development's changed a little bit and maybe they, maybe they need that dual diagnosis. That's a really great question. If you, for example, if I saw someone years ago and they contact me and say, things have changed, I would want to see the kid again okay. because so much can change developmentally. There's some diagnoses that we know are neurodevelopmental, meaning that they come about in childhood. 
So there are some things that were, if we kind of didn't see it then, we're not going to be seeing it when they're older. Um, but then we also want to investigate and see why there are changes. And sometimes then I've seen issues, condition, I've seen things pop up later, just developmentally or, you know, because of more stress or as learning gets harder and the demands get harder where kids were really able to keep up. There's a lot of reasons things can change, but they might need an updated evaluation. On the flip side, if they're in treatment, sometimes depending on exactly what they're seeing in terms of the changes, if they're, for example, seeing a therapist, they might be able to kind of take the new information in and with the old information kind of come up with a new plan of action. But I would say, again, if they're in treatment, and it's really unclear what needs to happen, that would be a time um, to seek out the evaluation too. Okay. And sometimes reevaluations are needed and we do see changes in kids. That brings up something that I've observed a lot in working with kids with anxiety. Oftentimes when they're younger, you see one version of it. And then maybe a few years later as they've grown and, and developed and changed and learned more skills, the anxiety takes on a different form. And um, I've worked with parents to kind of help them understand it's not necessarily that it's a new thing. It's like an extension of the already existing thing. And it just looks different at different stages of development. Or, you know, Chad, you and I have talked a lot about that sort of triangle between OCD and ADHD and, you know, anxiety and depression and all those things and how they can be interconnected. And I that do triangle think that, has like, four, by the way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I have made it very clear where I am with math. Okay. So I think, uh, reset your expectations. Um, <laughs> I know that if you had done an evaluation on me when I was a child, I would have had probably like a learning issue with math and, and with numbers and with those that kind of problem solving. I just I know that because I just don't operate that way. But that takes me to another point, which is it doesn't necessarily like just because you don't have a strength in something or you have a weakness in something isn't necessarily a bad thing. So uh, the results of a psychological evaluation and, and Dr. Patel, you had mentioned this earlier, that it can highlight a lot of different things about how your brain works. And so knowing that like math isn't my thing, I don't look at that as a disability. Like it, right. it got in my way a few times. It, it made college take a while, but ultimately <laughs> like I still had other strengths that I could rely on. And so this kind of testing, this kind of evaluation can help parents to identify what kids are really good at and what they can help to build up to kind of compensate for those things that don't go as well or that aren't as easy for kids to do. Absolutely. And it can actually be just such great information for kids to learn about themselves. And when kids come in, I always explain to them why they're there. All of our brains work differently. Mm. Like that's neurodiversity. And that's what makes like humans so cool. And we need everyone with these different areas of strength and different and just differences in general to make society function. And I can, you know, I have a doctorate and a double master's degree. I consider myself to be a fairly smart and usually humble um, person, <laughs> but you know, you, you ask me to draw something and this actually happened with a kid and they are a fabulous artist and they wanted me to draw. And I can't even tell you, like, it is probably at a three to four year old level, like no joke. And it was hilarious. They thought I was joking and I wasn't, but you know what? I don't have to draw on my job and that's okay. You know, of course I didn't really love art growing up and I still don't love it. But I'm a psychologist. I don't need to do that. Whereas, you know, my brother, that's what he does for a living. Like he does art. Everyone's wired so differently. And knowing those things can just be really interesting. And the way we, and I also explain the way we figure out how your brain works is through activities. So most people expect that I'm going to be like touching them or putting something on their head and, you know, pictures and puzzles and blocks and just interactions. And we can learn these really interesting things. And it's also nice for kids who sometimes get a lot of negative feedback, you know, understandably, you know, I'm a parent of four as well. Um, it happens where, you know, 
our kids get negative feedback or they get negative feedback at school or they're not paying attention. So guess what? We have to correct them or they're impulsive. So guess what? For safety, we have to correct them too. And it's really nice for them to hear from someone who's not their parents, that we have evidence and we have proof of what they're good at. We have like objective numbers that show them that these are areas that they can really excel in. And that can be really great. I've also seen evaluations like this totally reframe the the problematic behaviors for parents and kind of give them a new way to look at it. I know in our instance, um, my my oldest child had uh, a partial evaluation. Well, I guess it was like an ADHD-focused evaluation to, to decide if she had that or not. And one of the things I learned through that is that it was difficult for her to process auditory information. It wasn't necessarily like at the level that she couldn't do it, but that it was harder. And so once I read that, I, I thought back, how many times have I said literally out loud, does she even listen? Like, why isn't she hearing the words I'm saying? Because she can't process. So what I learned from that is it's not a reason to be frustrated or to assume that I'm parenting ineffectively. It's a, it's a way to, it's a reason to think more creatively about how to get her to initiate tasks or, you know, so if I want her to do something, I write it down and hand it to her. You know, I, I don't give her a laundry list of things to do because she's not processing all of that. She's maybe taking in like a third of the words I'm saying. And and so, of course, things weren't getting done or, or she wasn't able to make sense of all that. So I think it's really important, too, when parents can walk away from an evaluation and go, ah, that's why that happens. And here's what I can do about it. I had recently heard that kiddos with ADHD also have, I think the number was 30% of a delay in learning because they can't focus have you guys heard that? Thoughts on that? So it was, it was being even more patient with those kiddos because they're delayed up to 30%. I've never heard a specific statistic about it, but like I can say that just intuitively that makes sense that a, the child who struggles with attention and focus is going to be at a disadvantage academically and it's going to be tougher for them you know, to take things in and stay caught up with their peers. Yeah. yeah. Um, the comorbidity rate between ADHD and learning disabilities is about 30%. Okay. And so what that means is if you meet criteria for ADHD, you know, 30% of those individuals will meet a criteria for a learning disability and vice versa. There's okay. still 70% of kids that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, there's also a lot of research though um, about the long-term negative impacts of untreated ADHD. And this is also pretty much anything with mental health that's untreated. You know, there's very, there can be extremely poor outcomes for individuals. There can be increased anxiety, depression, less likely to be able to hold on a job. So there's just a lot of other things we want to consider as to why it's just so important to have a proper diagnosis and to have a proper plan of action for your child. And like you said, it's not always clear, clear cut where it's just like, oh, it's this one thing and we're going to treat the anxiety and everything else will be fine. Sometimes it is. And that can be really nice too. But sometimes it is more complicated where it's like there's anxiety and there's some attention concerns and maybe there's some learning concerns. Now, sometimes again, with anxiety, with ADHD, if the anxiety or ADHD go get under control, sometimes we see that those learning gaps really kind of close because they're like, wow, they can focus now. So now they're actually able to really retain the information. But sometimes it's a separate issue. So in addition to, you know, getting support for your anxiety or ADHD or anything else that is going on, sometimes you need learning support. Sometimes it's direct intervention with a learning specialist or a tutor um, or an educational specialist. Sometimes it's accommodations to make sure that you are able to kind of keep up with the classroom and do so and kind of level the playing field for that child too. We've talked in previous episodes, Dr. Patel, about the wait list to get mental health 
treatment. Is there, is there a wait list with an evaluation as well? Or what should, what should parents expect on a wait time with that? So it's, yes, there is always a wait list Mm -hmm. for anything surrounding mental health at this point in time. And it's really unfortunate. The amount of time that you have to wait is going to be wildly different depending on what kind of evaluation you're seeking and where you live. And so right now I'm in the San Francisco Bay area and there's a lot, there's still a wait for evaluations, but there's a lot more providers. There's also a lot more people, Um, but you know, there's different options. So if you're going to a major hospital, for example, that takes medical insurance, you might be waiting for a while. If you go to someone who does not work with insurance and you can pay out of pocket, you still might wait for a while, but the wait might be shorter. Um, I would say some nice things with telehealth, and I know not everyone is utilizing telehealth. There are some evaluations that can actually occur over telehealth. Mm. And so that can also open up your range of where you're looking for evaluation. So if you live in the state of Illinois, you can look other places in Illinois, and there are some providers who are doing partial evaluations over telehealth, full evaluations, which may or may not be appropriate depending on the referral question, but sometimes there are, or could at least save time where if you're going to have to travel, they could do you know, your initial meeting over telehealth, they could do your feedback over telehealth, you know, some of the meeting with the kid they can do over telehealth. And then sometimes that length of time you have to travel is shortened. So there are some other options to look. And I also say too, like, you never know when you're getting on wait list, what that wait is actually going to be. So call, get on wait list. And that way, you know, someplace might estimate six months, but they've called families and they found other places or, you know, they've um, don't need the service anymore. And so get on waitlist because you don't really know how long you're going to have to wait, but um, you don't want to be thinking about it, waiting and right. kind of unsure or want to not take advantage of places because they have a long wait, not getting on the list and then find out like they just hired someone else and they just flew through their entire waitlist. But it can be harder. Another thing I want to say too is depending on the question, you can also request an evaluation through the school district. And I know that this is something that was talked about in a previous episode. And so the school district, and it can be very confusing for parents because the school district cannot make specific diagnoses. So for example, the school district cannot say, and this is in all states, it's with IDEA, they cannot say, yes, your child has ADHD or your child has anxiety. But you know what? They can say your child has learning difficulties that we're recognizing, or you know what? We collected information from home and school and everyone's reporting some anxiety. So maybe we're going to do some accommodations. So schools are also incredibly busy and backlogged. Um, they have the unfortunate requirement, though, of being under federal law in terms of when or in state law, depending on where you're at, um, of how long they have to do evaluations. But sometimes your school district, maybe they can't give a diagnosis or maybe they can't answer all of your questions, but they can at least get some initial pieces started if you're seeing an impact at school, too. If there's no impact at school, which is rare, usually there's an impact at school, too, um, you could at least get the process started that way, too. It's good advice. Uh, so once you have the evaluation, what's the wait time before you get the results? That depends. So, you know, honestly, I work in two different facilities right now. I work at a major medical center and I also have a private practice. At our medical center, we give results that day Oh wow! for all kids who come in. And so we do telehealth evaluations. We do in-person evaluations and you get results before you leave our office. Hmm. Um, unless there's a major confounding factor that comes up where like, you know, it's a long appointment and the kid is done and bouncing all over and we're like, okay, it'd just be easier to talk over telehealth later. We do a lot of telehealth services in this area. Um, in my private practice, it just depends on parent availability. You can get results pretty quickly. I do think that's an excellent question wherever you're going for an evaluation. You want to know their timeline because not every place has that quick turnaround or 
some medical centers too have such you know, we all have, we all want to, we all hate to have kids wait. You know, like I said, I'm a mom of four. I, I, as a parent, I hate to have kids on a waiting list. We want to see as many people as we can. Sometimes people get backlogged though, because they're trying to see so many people and it can take longer to get the results. So you always want to ask, what is that timeline? And usually they can give that to you. How long after our last, my last meeting or our last meeting, will I get the results? And as a parent too, uh, we try to give that very quickly, at least verbal feedback because it's anxiety provoking. We want to give you an initial plan of action where maybe you don't have this full great written report, but you can start go off and running and maybe, you know, okay, they have these diagnoses and I can start calling therapists or they need speech therapy. Let me call these places or occupational therapy, or you know what? I need to get into psychiatry or my PCP can handle this. I need to make some phone calls and it can at least give parents an initial plan of action. So those are great questions to ask. One thing that I like to think about when it comes to mental health care is our, our coverage, our benefits, our insurance, and, and what services we can get with what we have. And so what advice do you have for parents for figuring that out for psychological evaluations? Is it always covered? Is it rarely covered? What should they do on the front end to make sure? It is not always covered. It is wildly different depending on where you live, the question you're asking, and your insurance. And so, for example, if you have a question of just learning, medical insurance will say, so if your question is, does my child have dyslexia, which is a very common question, your medical insurance will say, that's academic, go to your school. And so if they think that that is the only reason that you're seeking it out, oftentimes they'll deny coverage. And that's a really kind of clear cut denial. There are some insurances depending on age too. So like I see kids who are toddlers. And in some states, they'll say, you know what, you need to go to your, like in California, we have regional centers first in Illinois, they have, you know, they have early intervention, it's called something different in every state. And so sometimes they require you to go in that place first. I ran into this, even with speech therapy for my own child, just for articulation, having problems saying your R, ours, and our insurance was saying, you know what, you need to go to school for that. And school was saying, you know what, it's not bad enough for us to cover it. So can be just really confusing to parents. What you can do, though, is wherever you're going, there's billing codes that they will use. So you can get a hold of those billing codes, you contact your insurance and say, okay, based on these billing codes, what is my coverage? And one, making sure they're in network, that's going to be different. And I can kind of talk about what if they're out of network, because sometimes you can move much faster if it's out of network. So always find out about in-network coverage. If a person is out of network, that gets really, really tricky. So for example, in my private practice, I don't work with insurance. And so I'm out of network for everyone. So I give a little, I give a little cheat sheet where they can call insurance. Um, they get information based on the CPT codes and they can find out, you know, what applies to their deductible. They can also find out what percentage is covered, but then it also gets tricky. So is that percentage, say that they cover 60%, is that 60% of what like Blue Cross Blue Shield says they'll pay? which can be very low, or is it 60% of what I charge, which can be different. But it's very complicated, which is why in my private practice where I would have to do it myself, I unfortunately don't work with insurance um, because then also insurance can't dictate what I can do. So if I need to see your child more and I want to see him over telehealth or I want to look in other areas, I can. But don't also, it can be another hurdle and it's really unfortunate. But on the other hand, sometimes you'll have really great coverage in network or out of network. So don't let that be a barrier. You can also, if you're going through a major medical center, sometimes they have people who will do pre-certification and can find out and do a guarantee of benefits um, for you so you can find out about coverage. There's also, and this might be too much information, but there's also, especially right now, you know, we're still in a pandemic. 
And there's a lot of exceptions being made. And so for some places, say that you have Lucula Food Shield and you're calling places for evaluations who are in their network and you document their weight. So this place says, you know, six months, this place says four months, this, person, this place says a year, whatever it may be. You can sometimes with some insurances, not all, call and say, you know what, your network is deficient. It's that meeting my kids' needs. They're having difficulty, like their therapist, you can even get a letter, they're there. Speaking of meeting their kids' needs, I have kids screaming in the background, but um, don't worry, they're being taken care of. Um, like I said, four kids, they're one, three, seven, and nine. So yes. they are still, they're still little. Um, but you can also talk to your insurance and say, you know what, your network is deficient and you don't have anyone to meet my kids' needs. Sometimes they will grant an exemption so you can see someone out of network and they'll cover it at the same rate as an in-network provider, which can drastically open up who you can see. And like I said, like typically providers, you can also sometimes travel somewhere else in your state or see someone over telehealth to get some ideas or get started. So there are definitely different options. Thank you for getting into some of the detail of that. I, I thought about maybe doing an episode all about mental health and insurance because it is so complicated. The problem is I don't feel like I can explain it well enough to justify an episode on it. But I, I think you just did like a little crash course and I feel like I get it better. So thank you for- Well, and I was going to say to thanks to Nikki too, because you brought it up in the past because I never think about insurance and you guys are the, the professionals who deal with it every day, not directly. But I think it, I, I think an episode on insurance would be uh, ridiculously boring, but <laughs> it's so important because you have to understand what it is before you go in because you don't want to deal with it afterward. Dr. Patel, do you have any other resources, references, tips for parents, anything kind of go-to ideas that, that you use or that you know would be helpful for listeners? So there's a lot depending on kind of what the question is with your child. I think for some just basic resources I like, which are very similar to you, Nikki, in terms of like Dan Siegel and Becky Bailey, in terms of like some parenting strategies. But then we're talking about different diagnoses. There are some really good resources out there. Um, when we're talking about things like anxiety, some of my favorite resources, I really like GoZen, GoZen.com. And so this is also great for kids. What? Well, they have some really good resources on there for explaining anxiety and how anxiety doesn't always, like there's a lot under the surface and it doesn't always look the way we think that it's going to look. But they also have online programs that you can purchase. And they're based in cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, which are very research-based. And there are things that your child can do at home. So especially when we're talking about the wait list for mental health services, these were developed by a psychologist. They're very research-based. They're very kid-friendly. Like, it's just a really great resource. There's also a line of books, um, which I'm sure have been covered before by Don Hubner, the What to Do When series. So what to do when your brain gets stuck, what to do when your temper flares, what to do when you dread your bed. And these are all, and there's a lot more. And these are all, again, very CBT research-based, but they give thing, they give you these are kids books. So they give you ideas on what you can start at that moment with your child. So if you feel like they're struggling with anxiety, get the kids book. Not only is it great for your child, but it, it's going to give you language that you can use as a parent. And it'll actually help you understand it as well, too. A thing that I think often happens, and this is kind of a side note, is I get a lot of kids where they're referred for behavior. And they're like, do they have oppositional defiant disorder? That's something that I've diagnosed like maybe once in the last decade, because you know what? Kids just aren't defiant for no reason. When kids mm -hmm. can do well, they generally do. So there's some really great resources out there too by Ross Green, 
so he has like the explosive child. He talks a lot about collaborative problem solving. He has a really great website and it's also just a really good starting point because it kind of moves away from the strict like, you know, the way a lot of people think are like rewards and consequences and punishment in this piece. And it's a lot more about how do you collaborate with your child to work through some of these difficulties and come up with solutions. And he has some online programs too. There are also some online even, you know, for younger kids who are struggling with just some behavioral regulation too, like Triple P, which is a research-based program, actually has an online program as well. And so again, for a lot of parents, I say that this is kind of like you're building up your toolkit. And so you have all these tools in your toolkit and this information is going to help you in different situations. And I definitely see the power, especially in working with a therapist, if you can, one-on-one, -on -one, because of course that's going to help because they're going to help you kind of figure out what tools you need to use when, but again, there might be a wait to get in and you want to start exploring. And these are some really great resources. Also understood.org is one of my favorite websites because they not only have just a lot of really great resources for things like I mean, everything from ADHD, anxiety, dyslexia, learning difficulties, they also have tech finders. So you can go on there and you can put in certain things your kids struggling with and they can give you ideas for apps that are going to help. So huh. for kids struggling with reading, here are some apps that you could get started with. Again, it's not going to replace like working with a learning specialist, but it's a really good starting point. And they just have a really, they have a huge wealth of information. Something that could be a whole another episode is overlap with like autism. And a lot of these things we've been talking, we've been talking about. Um, but I think just kind of throwing one of those resources out there too, like Uniquely Human is a really great book for kind of understanding that. Because also when we're talking about triangles or squares or kind of trifectas of the symptoms, sometimes when we're talking about things like sensory or OCD-like symptoms, anxiety, ADHD, social concerns, Sometimes it all fits under autism. And then it's, again, can be a totally different way of viewing your child and understanding their neurodiversity. So long story short, I have a lot of different references, <laughs> but these are also things that, you know, when you come to a psychologist and you have a full comprehensive evaluation based on what's going on with your child, they're going to help, help you figure out that starting point. And I'll have a lot of parents say, you know, I've read all of these different parenting books and I've tried the strategies and they're not working which makes sense. So they need someone to work with them to figure out, okay, well, what is going on? What strategies can you use based on everything? And kind of where do you go from here? Parent Lab is a um, app for parents and they can, they can download it and it has a lot of good resources too. A lot of that is more about kind of what we think about um, expected development, but can also just has um, some really good resources for parents. Like Dan Siegel is a consultant on there. There's a lot of people who are consultants. So even just things like that, where there are these apps you can seek out and again, it may not answer all of the questions, but it can just serve as some support to get some information. And of course, scrambled the children's mental health podcast. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I can tell you, I put that as a citation in my reports as well. Really? Uh, yes, I have. I have. And I've gotten feedback from parents that they find it extremely helpful for understanding anxiety. Wow. You are one of my recommendations that I have wow. written down. Thank you. Nikki, Thank we made you it. for that. Yes. Well, that yes. So cool. We will include all of those amazing materials, websites, books, things that you listed in the show notes so people can find them and check them out. And I, I want to kind of echo the message that you're saying there, which is right now more than ever, there are really easy ways to get information. Even if you're waiting mm. for mental health care, there is good information out there and you don't have to wait to sit down with a professional to get started on, you know, helping your child find some relief. It is helpful to sit down with that professional and get a clear picture of what you're looking at and have that treatment plan and, and go through that process. But 
don't wait for that to get started. Check out any number of things that we will post on, on in our show notes um, to kind of get an idea and get some tips to, to help you. Because I think sometimes just having hope and having a sense of, okay, this is what I'm going to do right now. And maybe it's not the perfect thing. And maybe it doesn't solve the problem immediately, but it gives you something to hold on to, to help you get through to when you do have it more figured out. Mm-hmm. And I think one other point, which we didn't make, which totally doesn't fit at this point in the podcast, <laughs> but I put it in different points. So I'm just going to throw it out there is, you know, there are some times where parents will seek out a psychological evaluation and it's just not necessary at this point in time. So for example, where they think, I truly think my child has anxiety. I don't have any learning concerns. We haven't tried therapy yet. I don't have any attention concerns. They're a pretty happy kid besides that. You know what? Sometimes we'll say, you know what? Well, why don't, why don't we help you? Here's a few initial resources. I'll give them some, but why don't you try therapy? And then if you feel like there's more going on, you can circle back. Or my kid has sensory issues is a huge one. And I'm really concerned, but they have no other concerns, none about anxiety or their socialization or anything. Okay, well, I can tell you with that, I'm going to refer you to occupational therapy. So you can also start there. And then again, if needed, you can circle back around. So there are some times where you'll have that initial conversation. You're like, you know what, maybe I don't need this at this point in time. Again, I feel like in every situation, like if, you know, my um, one of my chiefs used a really good example of like, we're kind of in a drought situation with mental health. So you really have to prioritize like what you, how much water you use in a drought, but it would be nice if we could just like water everything and we could all have our sprinklers running all the time and use all the water we want, but no, we have to conserve resources. There are some times where it isn't fully needed at this point in time and that's okay too. It doesn't mean you can't circle back around, but you could at least get a starting point for what you should try first because even that piece can be really confusing as a parent. What is OT, occupational therapy, speech therapy? What did they work on? You know, therapists, what can they help with? What's a psychologist versus a psychiatrist? It can be a really hard system to navigate. Yeah, and when you're new to it, it's overwhelming. Yes. Dr. Jessica Snowden Patel, we appreciate your time so much and your information. And uh, we're so glad you were part of this episode. Well, thank you. It was so great to be here. Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast with others that you think would benefit from it. Hit that subscribe button and wherever you listen to your podcast. Our whole goal in starting this uh, podcast was to start that conversation. And that conversation continues with you, which is always our tagline out. But I just realized we have to tease ahead to the next episode, Nikki. And that is one that I'm looking forward to because it's Traveling with people with anxiety. (gasps) It's summertime, (laughs) traveling happens, and it can be extra challenging if you're bringing an anxiety disorder along for the trip. Or two. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's going to do it for us. We, again, appreciate you uh, listening. We're on Facebook and also online at scrambledpodcast.com.